I, Samuel Benjamin Cohn, being of sound mind and body, hereby declare this to be my last will and testament. To my son Sheldon, I leave $1 million. To my daughter Jane, I leave $1 million. To my loving wife, I leave whatever is not in her name already, $2 million. To my brother-in-law Louis, who said I would never mention him in my will, hello Louis. <laughs> It's an, old, it's an old one. Okay. Why, why am I telling you this? Because the question is like this. If you, if you don't want to give money to Louis, do you have to give money to Louis? We know you're not allowed to just keep all your money. You're not allowed to be a miser. You're not allowed to hoard your money. You have to be generous. I mean, there's a, it's a mitzvah. Which, by the way, is forced redistribution of wealth. Yeah, yeah, don't get scared. It comes from Torah. Yeah. The question is this. I know I'm forced to give away some of my possessions, some of my wealth. The question is, do I get to choose the recipient? And the answer is, generally speaking, yes. So, let's say you don't like Louie. Poor Louis, but he's not a real guy. He's just a guy in a joke. Don't, don't get nervous. So you don't have to give to Louis. And there's a concept called Toivas Hano. Toivas Hano is a benefit. I'm going to be a little bit legalistic for a second. Is a benefit that a person has, a right that a person has, even when he's in a situation where he is obligated to give away his property, but he retains one aspect of, let's call, balabatishkeit, ownership over it, which is, I may be forced to give this away, but I can be choosy. So, for instance, I'll give you a classic example. The miser that goes to the levium. So a levy shows up, I'm a farmer, the levy shows up and says, I, I'm claiming some of the, the tithe, the tenth, the miser of your grain, and I could say to him, I'm obligated as a Jew to give this tithe, and I'm obligated to give, to give it to a levy, but you don't have to be the levy. I don't like you. I'll give it to another levy. I'll give it to your cousin. That's called toivas hana, the, the right to be able to choose, even when Torah forces me to give, that I get to choose who it goes to. Okay. So, in this week's Parsha, I just want you to take that idea and shelve it. That was like background that you needed to have before we get into this. This week's Parsha, in the fourth Aliyah, all of a sudden, seemingly a non sequitur, actually, because the context is it's talking about the Yomim Tevim. It's talking about the Jewish calendar and all the different holidays throughout the year. Then, out of, seemingly out of the blue, we're told about the mitzvahs of Leket, and peah. These are agricultural mitzvahs. Leket are the sheaves that fall when you're trying to bring the crop back into from the field and you, you drop some. Um, you're not allowed to go back and pick them up. You have to leave them for the poor to claim. And peah is the corner of the field or a portion of the field which you don't harvest. You leave for the poor to claim. Anyways, so we read about this mitzvah seemingly in the middle, like non sequitur, out of the blue, in the middle of a, a discussion about the holidays. And Rashi tells us that this was addressed, this question was addressed by our sages. There's also another question here. 
not only why, why is Leket and Peah coming up seemingly out of context, but why is it coming up again? Because we had it last week. We had it in, the, we had it in Kedoshim. So we already had it. It's coming up again, and it's coming up seemingly out of context. So Rashi tells us, Lamedecho, this is to teach you, meaning the juxtaposition has a meaning, is to teach you, Shekol Hanesein Lekat Shicho Anyone who properly gives these particular agricultural gifts to a pauper, Mylin Olav, it is considered as if, Keilo as if, Bonabais, or Bonabais Hamikdosh, he, he, he built the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple in, in Jerusalem. Vehikrivalov, Karbanesov, and brought its proper sacrificial offerings there. Peseche in it. It's interesting. On, on the Yom Tevim, you go to the Beis Hamikdash and you bring Karbanes. I mean, it's hard for us to relate to. We think of on, on Yom Tev, you, you sit at home with your family and you eat more and you. Right, but at times the real uh, original Yiddishkeit in Mirz Hashem very very soon with Mashiach. Yom Tov means Beis Hamikdash. It means Karbonis. You're going to the temple and you're bringing sacrifices. So Rashi says like this: Why does this mitzvah, this agricultural mitzvah, come up in the middle of a discussion of the holidays to tell you that just like on the holidays you go to the Beis Hamikdash and you bring sacrifices, so too when you do this mitzvah properly of leaving the, the leket and the peah for the poor, it's like you built the Beis Hamikdash and you went there and you brought the proper sacrifices. Okay, but we have a question on that. We have a question on that, which is, why specifically Leket and Peah? I mean, why not any tzedakah? There's a lot of different types of tzedakah. If I take miser from my paycheck, if I take a tithe, is that, is, is that not also included? Or what about regular miser? You know, like what we were talking about before, to the Levium. Why specifically Leket and Peah? That's one question. Another question is, the 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 the, the, marshal, the 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 analogy seems a little bit over elaborate. He doesn't just say if you give those agricultural gifts to the poor, it's as if you brought a sacrifice. He says it's if you as it's it is as if you built the temple and brought the sacrifices in it. Like what's with the building the temple? Why does that? Why is that? Like and who builds? That's not even a normal thing. You're comparing it to a thing that you don't even do. On a Yom Tif, which is the thing we're comparing it to, you go to the temple, which is already built, and you bring sacrifices. You don't build the temple. So why, why in the mushal does it say, it's as if you built the temple and you brought the sacrifice? Okay, anyways, you clear on the questions? Okay. So I'm going to tell you a story. I did not hear from the person it happened to. I heard it from a person who heard it from the person that it happened to. The person who I heard it from is Reb David Shalom Pape in Crown Heights, who is uh, the editor of the Mashiach Times, works for Tzivis Hashem, and he heard it from the person it happened to. Um, Reb David Shalom was a Rhodes Scholar. I don't know how they refer to it. Maybe he is a Rhodes Scholar. Maybe it's a lifetime 
title you bring with them. That's, that means you're really, really, really smart, and you were chosen to um, go to England, to go to Oxford. Uh, it's basically Americans who are awarded a special scholarship to, to study in Oxford. It's for really, really smart people. Anyways, so he was a Rhodes Scholar, and he spent some time in England. And when he was in England, so he met a lot of the, the local community there, and he told me a story about, this story is actually about the wife, but the way he told me it is first about the husband, that there was a, there was a Jew named Avram Yitzchak Gluck. In fact, if you go Google today, Avram Yitzchak Gluck, you're going to pull up a page of charitable foundations, because he was a big philanthropist, and his charitable trusts are still active. He was very successful in business, he gave away a lot of money, and in his name, Tons of money continues to be given. And this is, by the way, pertinent to the story. Big, big, big philanthropist. Okay, what was his story? He actually, he was from Vienna, Austria. And in the 1930s, before World War II, he left. I'm not sure if he understood what was happening or for other reasons he left, but he left. And he went to England. And then he went to Eretz And in fact, he fought in the Haganah. And he had an interesting life. And then finally he came back to England, and he made a business, and he became very, very, very successful. He made a lot of money. Okay. Now, during all that time, he basically went away from Yiddishkeit. Um, I mean, he was a proud Jew, culturally. He identified Jewishly. But as far as the observance that he had been raised with, that was completely gone. And he married a woman who was another Holocaust survivor, uh, in fact, she, I mean, this is part of the story, she had lost her whole family in the Holocaust, and uh, she was also completely non-observant. So at the point when they got married, the Yiddishkeit aspect was not relevant at all. They weren't, neither of them were observant. Anyhow, this Mr. Glock met a Chabad Chassid, Reb Yankel Gurkov. And this Rabbi Yankel started to learn with Mr. Glock Tanya. And he started to warm up to Chsidis. And eventually um, he became more observant. I mean, that's, don't tell anyone the secret, but if you start learning a little Tanya, and then, you know, before you know it, you're more observant than you had planned on being. And that's what happened to him. So, um, this Mr. Glock, he wanted to meet the Rebbe. And it was arranged that he should go to Brooklyn, go to 770, and have Yechidus with the Rebbe. And he brought his wife with him. So he was all excited, because he already knew about the Rebbe, and he, 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 was, he was really anticipating something great. And his wife wasn't so excited, she just kind of went along for the ride. And it was the middle of the night, they'd gone for Yechidus, which was you know, a typical thing, the Rebbe would meet with people all night long, all through the night. So they, they'd gone for the Yechidus in the middle of the night. And when they came out, I don't know what transpired in the first, in the first Yechidus. I'm giving away the story by saying the first Yechidus, you're going to see. <laughs> uh, they come out, and Mr. Gluck is just kvelling. He's saying, wasn't that amazing? And his wife, I, th I think to her credit, was very honest. And she said, no. He said, you, you, weren't, you weren't amazed? And she said, didn't do anything for me. In fact, the word that she used, it's funny because we always tell the stories about people went to Yechidus, they met the Rebbe, and it changed their life immediately. 
Didn't always happen like that. Didn't always happen. She came out and he says, wasn't that amazing? She said, hmm. In fact, the words that she said, she said, it left me cold. It left me cold. That's what she said. She said, it left me cold. But then, interestingly, she said to her husband, maybe Rabbi Groner would let me come in again. He said, that's really unusual. But, you know, a Jewish husband, when his wife asks, right? So, when a, when a Jewish husband gets sent back to the store, he doesn't ask. He goes back to the store. So, can we get another Yechidus with the Lubavitcher Rebbe right after we just left? What, what are you going to do? Say no. So, he went to Rabbi Groner and he said, my wife would like uh, another Yechidus. So, I mean, she had just come out minutes ago. So, Rabbi Groner asked the Rebbe, which is a miracle in and of itself, and the Rebbe agreed. He said, yes, send her in by yourself. So she goes in, and here's the conversation. First thing the Rebbe asks her, do you give tzedakah? So she says, yes, yes, we give a lot of tzedakah. Now remember, I told you that till this day, the Avram Yitzchok Gluck Charitable Trust is active in giving out money. They gave a lot of money. And it wasn't just, you know, uh, you know, they had some gatekeeper writing checks. People would come to their house. Rabbi David Shalom told me, like, if you would be in their house, there were people, like, all day long, coming to the door and knocking at the door, and everyone had their story, and some were collecting for personal things, some were collecting for communal things, and they would, no one would be turned away. They would give to everybody, they would, and they gave, they gave generously. So the Rebbe asks her, do you give to Dukkah? She says, yes, all the time. So the Rebbe asks her, and what do you think while you're giving the tzedakah? So she says, I think that I feel privileged that I'm able to help a person. And it feels good that I'm you know, able to have this compassion and to help somebody. So the Rebbe says to her, if possible, I would like you to try to do something. From now on, when you give tzedakah, just try to think that you're doing Hashem's mitzvah. She said, I think about, I'm very privileged to be able to be generous, to help somebody, to be compassionate towards someone. The Rebbe says to her, if you could, could you just try to focus on the fact that you're doing Hashem's mitzvah? So she wasn't exactly sure why this was important, why the Rebbe was asking. She said, yeah, I could do it. She comes out of the Yechidus. Her husband says, how do you feel? She says, actually, I feel warm. She said, I feel warm. Okay. And then in the ensuing days after that meeting, her life began to change. And she just opened up. And all of the, the coldness. I mean, she was, she, was, she was a woman who had been through. She lost a family. I mean, she'd been through horrors. And her heart was... Her heart was cold, but it just started, the, the, the ice started to melt and she came alive. So it's very interesting. Like, okay, so first of all, how do you analyze a story about a tzaddik knowing exactly what to say to which person? I, I'm not even going to try to, you know, do that. But just to take from it a lesson that we can relate to. What's the point of giving? Of course, when we give, we get that warm fuzzy. Of course. And, and we're not saying not to have the feeling. We're saying, is that the focus? Is that the motivation? I'll tell you another story. It's a classic story. 
the story of Nachum Chernobyl. Reb Nachum Chernobyl, the Meor Nayim, who's one of the Tamid Amagid, Tamil of the Baal Shem Tov, one of the greats. Anyways, Reb Nachum Chernobyl once, he's, uh, he's at home, and there's a knock at the door. So he answers the door, and there's a guy standing there. Nabuch, he says, I have no money. I'm, uh, I, have to, I have to marry off a daughter. You know, I have a financial crisis. And it's a you know, real, real sob story. So Reb Nochem goes and gets some money. I don't know how much money he gave him. And he gave him money. Okay. The guy thanks him. He leaves. Now the guy goes on. And, you know, he's going door to door. He's collecting. He's collecting. So as the guy's going door to door, uh, you know, he's now he's a few houses away from Reb Nochem's house. He hears footsteps pounding. And someone's running after him. He turns around. Who's running after him? Reb Nochem is running after him. So he says, Reb Nochem, what, what do you want from me? Why are you chasing me? Did I take something from your house that you're chasing me down? He says, no, no, no. I have something to give you. He says, Reb, if you don't remember, you just gave me. You just gave me. He said, that was because when you came to the door and you told me your story, I felt bad for you. Now let me do the mitzvah. And he gave him a second time. In other words, you came to the door, you told me your story, and I had a human response. The human response was, how could you not help a person in this situation? And I did the human thing. I, I'm, I'm interpreting. I'm giving words to it. It's not, not what Reb Nachum said. But I did the human thing, and I gave to you, like any decent human would do. But now that I did that, now that I got that out of the way, so to speak, now let me do the godly thing. Now let me do the godly thing. Let me do the mitzvah. Let me give because God told me to give, not because my human compassion has been stirred. So there really is such a concept that even though giving is something that any compassionate civilized person values and not just values in an abstract way but on an emotional level we feel good when we help people even though all that's true and that's not bad that's good that's good that we're aligned with the mitzvah but it can't be the central motivation and it can't be the focus now let's let's talk about our original question because now I think it makes more sense. Remember, we're talking about the idea of toivas hano. That, that I may not be able to choose whether I give, but I can choose to whom I give. Do we get to choose people and causes that we want to support? And the answer, generally speaking, is yes. Yes, of course you do. You earned it. You get to choose. You can't keep it, but you can choose who you want to give to. Okay. However, on a certain level, that little bit of, let's call it balabatishkeit, that little bit of control gets in the way of the mitzvah. Because there's a feeling of, I'm doing a favor. Look, look don't forget, this isn't just God made me do it. There's a certain level of, 
niceness here. I'm the good guy. You have to remember, I chose. I could have given to another lady. I chose to give to you. So I'm a good guy. Don't forget that I'm a good guy. Now, I'm not saying it comes out to that level of crassness. But on a very refined level, the, the, the idea of toivas hano that I'm choosing who to be the recipient of the tzedakah that I'm anyways mechoyev, I'm obligated to give, can get in the way of the godliness and make it more human. Now, generally speaking, you are allowed to pick. We don't tell a person, no, you can't pick. However, there are a couple of specific types of tzedakah where you have no tevis hano. You want to guess which specific gifts a person has no tevis hano? He does not get to choose which pauper receives. I mean, it's the, it's these gifts. Leket shechopea. You're not allowed to tell a pauper, uh, excuse me, I know that I'm not allowed to take this stuff, but you leave because there's another pauper that I like better and I want him to come get it. You're not allowed to do that. Specifically these gifts. It's interesting, by the way. The Rambam in Hilchas Hesurei Bia, in Yodalid, the Halacha base, he talks about what does a Bezdin tell a Ger when a prospective convert comes to become Jewish, what does the rabbinical court tell them? So there's different warnings that you try to scare them off, and you say, don't you know how persecuted we are, and all that stuff. But then you're supposed to, the Bezdin, the rabbinical court, tell them a little bit about Yiddishkeit. I know you're saying, well, t- tell them now a little bit? Okay, they've been studying, but now is like the formal, uh, I guess, uh, you know, this, I don't want to call it ceremonial because it's not, it's not just a formality, but it's it's sort of just to make sure this person, you know, has done their homework, they know what Yiddishkeit's about. So it's interesting that Amam says, you tell, and this is based on a Gemara Yavamas, Daf Mem Zayin Omed Aleph. And Rashi explains there, interesting, the reason. You tell them about, the Rambam uses the word, Ikre Hadas, fundamental concepts of the religion. And he says, what do you tell them? You tell them about Lekat Shecha Opeya. So in that, that you tell them that Shema Yisrael Shem Alekinu Shem Echad. Right? You tell Lekat Shecha Opeya. Rashi explains over there. You know why? Because you have no Tevis Hano. In other words, if I can you know, be homiletical for a second, when you want to tell someone what it means to be Jewish and you want to warn them what they're getting, getting into, you say, listen, there are a lot of religions in the world and they all believe in good things and they all tell you to be a better person. I mean, that's what a religion is. But I just want to warn you something. Yiddishkeit is not just about being a better person. Because if it were just about being a, a, a better person, then it would be about cultivating your compassion and that's it. In Yiddishkeit, there's something beyond that, which is sometimes it's not about your compassion. Sometimes it's not about you. And there are going to be times when you're going to have to give and whether you feel good about it is irrelevant. Whether your compassion is stirred because of the particular cause or the plight of the particular individual, we don't care. 
In fact, that even gets in the way. Like Mrs. Gluck was saying, oh, I love giving, you know, I'm so into it. You know, I mean, she didn't say that, but she said like, well, you know what, I, 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 I feel privileged. I, she, she was describing, she had an emotional connection to the mitzvah. And the Rebbe was like, yeah, that's not it. Like, it's not about the emotional connection. And that the emotional connection is even getting in the way. And that's what helped her go from a cold heart to a warm heart. So it's very counterintuitive because you would think, no, that was the warm heart. And if you just do it because God said, that's very cold. It's like the people who say, it's a little bit of a side topic, but you know, you ask people, do you love your family because you love your family or because God told you you love your family? Well, it'll be very cold and robotic just to love them because God said so. And you know what? Uh, in reality, no. Because you love them, because you love them, there's a limit to it. And, you know, sometimes they annoy you, and then you love them less, right? Because basically it's what works for you. But when you realize that Hashem gave you this obligation to take care of these people, we're really supposed to take care of everybody, but there's gradations of obligation. So the first thing is take care of your family. Now it's like, it has nothing to do with how I feel about it. It has nothing to do with whether I'm in the mood. This has, it's not about, you know, it's not about if I like you. This is... This is bigger than me. This is bigger than me. So, here's the thing. Normal giving, we let a person have teves hana. We let them say, okay, I, I may not get to choose whether I give, but I can choose the recipient. However, when it comes to farming, where you had to do all the work. So, you know, you make an investment, you have a business, you sell some merchandise. It's hard work, but farming is really hard work. And you plant, well, before you even plant, you, 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 uh, call plow, you plow and you plant and you take care of the plants and you harvest it. And then while you're harvesting it, you have to give some of it away. And it's like all that work, all that work, you're feeling like, you know what? This is the psychology of it that Chazal understand. I put so much work into this. I know that I can't keep it all. But even when I give it away, after I put so much work into it, let me have a little control. And Taita comes along and says, actually, no, this is precisely when you get zero control. <laughs> because you feel, I built this. This is mine. I did this. This is where Dafka, you can't even have the Taita Sana. You can't even have the control to pick the recipient. If you would have worked a little less and been a little less invested, so then we would say, you already know that it's not 100% yours. But when you put in so much effort, like the farmer, he feels like, I own this, this is mine. So we come to him and say, no, it's really not. And not only do you have to give away a certain portion, but when you give it away, you don't even get to pick the recipient. And that's why <laughs> the, the marshal is... It's like someone built the Besamikdosh and brought sacrifices in it. Two aspects of that mashal, two aspects of that, of that allegory are very important. You built it, you put in all that effort, right? You didn't just, you know, fall into, uh, you know, you didn't just buy Bitcoin 10 years ago, whenever it was, <laughs> right? I guess you could have even bought it a year ago and done well. But you, you farmed, right? So you built it, you built it. You put in work. And now, you made a sacrifice. You sacrificed. What's the sacrifice? Not only I have to give some of it away. That I know. But when I give it away, I don't even pick a cause or an individual that tugs my heartstrings. So this is a lesson to us, in general, about all giving. 
And really, the truth is about all mitzvahs. That, of course, it's good to have an emotional, you know, a, a human emotional connection to mitzvahs. That's great. But that can't limit it. That can't become the primary focus. What will carry us is the surrender, the sacrifice, realizing this is bigger than me. Now, I was just talking the other night to singles. They wanted, you know, to talk about marriage. And I said, as long as you're getting married because you think it'll improve your life, you're making a big mistake. You have to get married because it's a mitzvah. And I got pushback. Oh, come on. Where's the, where's the emotions? Where, where's the romance? Where's... They said, we can't be on that level just to get married because it's a mitzvah. But this is precisely the point of Judaism. And that's why they tell the prospective convert, we're warning you what you're about to get into. This isn't a regular religion. Regular religion is about becoming a mensch. Yiddishkeit is becoming godly. So it's not about becoming more compassionate. It is. I don't want to say it's not, but I'm saying that's not the goal. That happens along the way to the goal. But the real goal is surrendering our, our preferences and becoming totally bottled, totally transparent, surrendered, like a clear conduit through which God's will just unobst- unobstructed, just, just flows through. And, and, and it's interesting. It's like even when you're doing a mitzvah, your humanity can get in the way. <laughs> and, and, and that's why Reb Nochem Chernobyl chased the guy down, because he knew that the first time he gave, that was save the whales. That was habitat for humanity. That's because there was a human reaction. And, and I'm not, by the way, putting it down. If you don't have that reaction, that's awful. Imagine a person who hears about the environment or an endangered species, like, I don't care. No, you should care. But that can't be the end of it. That's along the way called being a normal human being, but then it has to go beyond where we're doing things not because it's, it, it, it stirs our compassion. That, and that's just a general guideline for all giving and really for every mitzvah, whether it's tefillin or Shabbos candles or Shabbos or kashas. It's not about making my life better. It's not because I like it, not because I enjoy it. Even if I do, okay, I happen to enjoy it. But it's really to be more godly, to be surrendered, to be aligned with God's will, to not get in the way.